thank you for being here, representing the foreign language department. Um, you know, we're going to be, you know, talking about, you know, the what you've had to deal with with foreign language, and I have a lot of curiosities in foreign languages, and so um, definitely going to be asking you some questions there. Your first guess is going to be something I can't talk about, so I'm a little upset about that. But we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, but uh, where no, we, we won't. where we start is um, well, so you got you're going to have to be careful with this. But the way we start is our origin story of what got us in education, um, and so kind of talk about what what brought you to this field. What, what you know, where did the passion come from to be able to teach languages, and, and what you know, kind of what got you into teaching. So um, well, as I grew up, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. You know, I know that's so like, oh, I always yeah. wanted to be a teacher, but that's true. That's what most people say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I kind of always felt that I always loved to play teacher and all that stuff. So, um, and I, but then in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to teach. Right. And so then in high school, my best friend was from Spain. And so I spent the summer in Spain with her one year. I think it was like my junior year. I went to Spain with her for the summer. And then I realized that like, that was it. It was like that sealed the deal, like right. traveling abroad. And so I knew I wanted to uh, speak Spanish, teach Spanish, travel. And so that's when I decided to um, major in Spanish and minor in education. Was that your first kind of diving into the Spanish language was going to Spain or had you had some previous experience with that? Prior no, to, I no? would say no, like other than just like being around her family here locally right. um, and hearing her and her mother speak Spanish to each other. At that point in time, like in Charleston, there was not a lot of Spanish speakers. So um, you really didn't hear um, yeah. much Spanish in the area. Right. Um, so really whenever I went to Spain, that really sealed the deal. Did you learn pretty much Spanish while you were there in that summer? Were you able to get No, I would say, um, and that's what I always tell my students is that I think I, I only took two years in high school. Right. So really um, two years of language in high school and then but just having like the passion for wanting to learn it. I mm -hmm. mean obviously when I was there with her I picked up things but I didn't have a good foundation at that point right. yet. So it was just like thrown into a pack of wolves right. let's say and I just like picked up things and then um, and then I really like started wanting to learn more when I what came back. What part of Spain were you? We were in like uh, Tarragona, which is near Barcelona. Okay. Did you get to travel around a lot? Or yeah, we went and saw um, a couple different areas um, with her family. What's your favorite part of Spain? Uh, now? Yeah. Well, having been back many times since then, I would probably say uh, Madrid, actually. Yeah. I like Madrid a lot. What do you like about it? Um, I just like... Uh, I don't know, just like the culture, it's very artsy. They have a lot of art in Madrid. They have a lot of um, uh, pride in, in, right. in the, their country and um, just like many things to do. It's very diverse and their soccer team are a Real yeah, Madrid yeah. fan. Okay. So yeah. um, I don't know, just like the people right. in the place. And then you've traveled other places around like South America too. Talk about that a little bit. And well, after college, I went to into the Peace Corps. So I lived nice. in Honduras for two and a half years. Um, and so when I was in, in Honduras, I traveled all over Central America. Okay. Um, so I've been everywhere in Central America. And then when I came back um, from Honduras, I then started traveling in South America. Okay. So you majored in Spanish in college. Mm -hmm. Were you, like, talk about, I guess... 
How fluent were you leaving, and then how did like being in Honduras for two and a half years did it change your language and your you know ability to speak Spanish, or did it pretty much was a seamless transition, or was there a um, little bit of adjustment? Well, I would say I've always been like uh, an outgoing person, yeah. so I've never really been shy to make mistakes in that sense. Right. So that's always a good thing in language because um, I just am going to say what I say, and then like they're going to correct me, or um, and I'm okay with that. Um, so I would say like in well in college I did a study abroad in Spain. Okay, good. Um, in Salamanca for a semester, and. Um, so I think that definitely helped, but it's Central America and South America, the Spanish there is very different and mm -hmm. like the learning and the culture is very different. So I would say the Spanish that I learned and studied in college was a very Spanish from Spain. Okay. So I felt like even though I could communicate, I still didn't have the confidence as like fully on bilingual, we'll right. say. But I'm also very service oriented, so I knew, like people ask me like, why'd you go in the Peace Corps? And I'm like, I don't know. Getting, like, I don't even that. know. Like, we'll talk, yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> but like, so when I went to Honduras, they actually, your first three months in the Peace Corps is language training. Okay. And like job training, and so in the country. So while I was there, I had already had a great foundation. Right. But then, of course, like being in a, a the language full time, living in like uh, being the only English speaker where I was, right. um, it definitely made a huge difference. What's the biggest difference between Spanish and Spain versus Central and South? So you say the difference between Central and South America is the same, or well, same? every country is different. Every country has a little different. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. Actually, yesterday my students asked me, they're like, "Well, what kind of Spanish are we learning here?" And I'm like, "Well." Um, the Spanish that we teach, or at least I teach, is one that can be understood in any country because I don't want them to have bias towards one country or the other. Right. But also, I mean, like Mexico has over a hundred indigenous languages, right. um, so that affects the, the their Spanish language. Right. So that's going to be different than like a Spanish from Spain. And then Spain uses vosotros, which we don't use, like, or they don't use in other places. So it's really like learning that the colloquialisms from each right. country, which is why I think it's so important for me to travel as a Spanish teacher. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's probably my biggest regret that I haven't put the bandwidth to learning a new language yet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my daughter, um, my mother-in-law is uh, Filipina, and so she, you know, we only allowed her to speak Tagalog to her when she was there. Oh, wow. Um, and, but when COVID hit, she obviously, we weren't around her as much and lost a lot of, you know, that. But I still think that, you know, her language is like off the charts as a four-year-old. I mean, she's been speaking full conversations and she was like one and a half. And I think it's because of having that, that part of her brain activated by having to hear mm -hmm. English versus Tagalog. And, and, and then I think it's, it's important. And I just, it's one of my biggest regrets that I have well, the bandwidth. I know there is. And, and one and day. And is so close one, to Spanish. Yeah. And one day, hopefully I put the, the bandwidth to it and just stop making excuses. Um, <laughs> go get it done. So let's she's, talk about this Peace Corps. She's for She's for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about this Peace Corps thing. So, because okay. I think I've had a lot of students that are interested in that. And I guess maybe so as we're, you know, talking to students here as well, what, I guess what experiences, what kind of things, what advice and things would you give them about that experience of, of going into the Peace Corps? So, um, Well, sadly, right now, they don't have it going on. Oh, they brought right. everyone home, home from right. with COVID. Make, yeah. um, but um, I think it's like a life-changing 
impact. I mean, for me, and then I, you know, hopefully for them, because the whole idea is sustainability, and the service that I provided to them hopefully is lifelong. Um, I mean, it's not. It's about community. It's like service, um, volunteering, but not with money, but with time and knowledge. And I think that's why I went into it. And so basically, you, I kind of, I think I applied my junior year because it takes about a year to go through the whole process right. of college. That was, and then um, so then they first invited me to go to the Dominican Republic as like an earthworm farmer, and I was like, first of all. <laughs> I would love the Dominican Republic, but I'm not, I don't have anything to teach anyone on earthworm farming. I, never, I guess as a fisherman and <laughs> somebody who gets worms all the time, I never thought about the fact that there has to be earthworm farms. Yes. And, and, that's, and so this, and wow, and okay. And so I'll, even though I, I, was, I was worried to turn it down because I'm like, well, will they offer me something else. I was right. like, I cannot teach someone that. Um, so, they, could, uh, they might be able to teach you about how to do it. Yeah, things. but that's not the point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then they sent me an invitation to uh, Honduras for um, small business development, which I did have um, uh, some experience with that, just like with jobs throughout right. college. And so, there's, like that. so there's there's different sections, sections of inside sectors. the Peace Corps when you're going into this area that that you're being, I guess these countries are, are asking for this yes. this help. Yeah. And then the Peace Corps, because mm -hmm. the Peace Corps was developed by Kennedy in, in the 60s, mm -hmm. the, the idea of combating communism through bringing American ideologies and cultures to other countries. And mm -hmm. I guess, I guess it probably the mission's probably changed over time now that the Cold War is ending, but. Yeah. Um, so that's it's interesting that you're, you were, so the countries invite you in for certain specific purposes. Yes. And so you were small business development. So what were you, what was your, like what were you helping them do? Um, I worked with four small businesses. I worked with a group of women that made paper, okay. like natural paper. So nice. they would actually um, grow the plants and then go through the whole process of making paper. And so obviously it, they knew how to do the paper. I was like kind of uh, product control and marketing and okay. how to take them technology, how to take them oh. to their product to the next level. Gotcha. Like how are you going to get your product from your small town to the shelves on stores in different cities right. and like making those contacts and communications like with other businesses. Um, then I worked with a group that made hammocks. Um, then I also worked uh, ceramics. Okay. And then um, uh, a bakery. Really? Yeah, and then I had side projects too. So right. like I worked with a lot in the local school. Nice. Just because I made friends with like the teachers. Yeah. And so um, I would go and I mean, they do have, they do encourage you to teach English, but I mean, yeah. to me that wasn't like a sustainable product I was about to ask project. Right and so like I did it for fun, but I wasn't there to teach English. Right. I figured that that was part of it too though, is because I mean, that's where I think I guess you could talk the, about this as well. Like the United States bilingual programs, I guess, probably aren't as, you know, they're not as developed as, you know, other countries. You go to Europe and everybody speaks a couple of different languages and that's part of their their culture. And I, I remember there was a time where I thought that bilingual education was going to, bilingual education was going to start younger. Is that mm -hmm. still happening at our elementary and, and middle levels? In South or? Carolina? Yeah. No. no, it's not. Because there's not a value in there. Right. Um, sadly, um, I feel like you would have to go to the north or other areas of the United States to, to get, get the, yeah. a bilingual education. Um, I mean, I think there is a bilingual school in Columbia, in Lexington, right. um, but 
sadly people don't want to put the money into yeah. those programs but even though I mean it's more than just a an, a local impact it's right. like a global impact and then teaching others that you know, the value of culture yeah. and valuing each other. And uh, I mean, there are so many pros and advantages to knowing a, a, another know. language at a very young age. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's sad. That's do you think, do you, is there any movement towards that? I mean, like, how do other countries, I mean, how did they do it? Like, I, so you know, they all, I guess English has become the universal language, and so we've been kind mm -hmm. of. We've been kind of uh, lucky, I guess, and, and but then we get yeah. makes us lazy about it. <laughs> learning other education. So how do others? How do other countries that you know of do bilingual education? Like how do they incorporate the English into whatever their native language is? Well, having so much experience with Central and South America, okay. most of those programs are uh, private schools, um, and sadly, it's the higher demographics. Right. So um, they don't really offer English at the public schools in rural areas, or if they do, it's, I would not say that it's by someone that's fully bilingual. Um, but at the same time, like uh, if you have the money to go to a private school, then those right. students grow up bilingual their whole lives. Right. Um, what about in Europe? In Europe and Spain, like I would Spain, say, yeah. um, I don't have as much experience in like the lower elementary, like I don't remember as much as that, but I would say that they just, all, I mean, you're surrounded by so many countries. I mean, right. the euro, the money. I mean, when yeah. you, they share money with other countries. <laughs> so, I mean, they are obviously valuing other countries and their cultures right. and languages. And so naturally, you're going to pick up different languages. Do you think it's ever going to pick up here in the United States or? I mean, I hope so. I'm positive and I I'm hope so, but I mean, I think it would. It all starts with leadership. Yeah. And is there I mean, any kind of bilingual leadership group that is kind of advocating for this that is out there? Like not that I. No. I mean. Huh. Sadly, I mean. I know. I think it's important. I really do, and I because mm -hmm. um, I've seen the benefits of it, and so I'm just curious. I wonder what what would have to happen to make it, you know, more accessible. If anything, you know, I, one thing I've always said is that I wish I could start a nonprofit and take students in middle school yeah. or abroad. Because as soon as you like plant that seed oh, early know. on, yeah. then students are going to want to know. They're going to want to travel. They're going to want to learn another language. So I mean, that's always kind of been like yeah. a little back dream. Yeah, I've, like, yeah, I've seen it. You know, when I let took, me just take kids abroad. Yeah, and well, when I took them to Italy, you could see immediately that they, they want to know about like how to say this and how to do that, and they're trying mm -hmm. out this language. I mean, it was like instantaneous, and there was this passion that you saw that they had immediately, and when we were in Italy and Greece and trying to learn all as much as they possibly could, and obviously in the short amount of time that we were there. Um, uh, I just had another student um, who come back from Italy, and now she's like, I just want to go back immediately, and, and this is what I want to do, and travel, yeah. and learn, and um, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of benefit that comes from it, and I guess it's it's the money part of it, I guess, is part of it, you know, that's definitely always comes back to that, but. Well, locally, I can see, like, with my own children in elementary school, they hmm. have started, like, doing Duolingo, right. which is, like, a step in the right direction if you can't afford to hire, like, a Spanish or French teacher or right. another language teacher, then, like, that's at least, like, starting to plant seeds. And then I consider our local area very diverse, and so I would say that at Stratford, even, we have one of the most diverse high schools in the area, right. which is one of the reasons I love working here. I can hear Portuguese, I can hear Spanish, I can hear Chinese, I can hear Tagalog, um, 
And I think that because those children are starting to come up in our schools, that like our children are going to have that natural curiosity because they're going to want to speak to their friends. Absolutely. Your, your kids are bilingual, right? I would not say that bilingual. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, they can understand a lot of Spanish, right. but as far as producing, no, uh, no I wouldn't say as much. <laughs> we'll get it. We got to hopefully. We'll um, get there. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's talk about then how how difficult has it been to teach language in this current situation that we're in with kids at home and kids, has that been very difficult? What teaching techniques and strategies have you brought in that, um, you know, that you're gonna, that you like and they're gonna keep moving forward in this situation, I guess? Um, it has been very challenging. I mean, my students in the classroom are definitely getting a different knowledge base than yeah. my students online. Yeah. And so that makes me sad because yeah, me um, I really hold high expectations for my students. I'm sure they would be the first to tell you that. Which is a good thing. <laughs> Which is a good thing because I always say they're a product of me and if they walk out knowing nothing, then I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I mean, I look at it as like when you go to first grade, your teacher is there to teach you to read. If you don't know how to read, then you know that's a problem. So like if you walk out of my class not knowing any Spanish, then that's a reflection on me. Right. Um, so that has been difficult to get through to myself this year like okay those kids online what am I going to do to reach them and and still be compassionate towards them and their situation um, so I try to do a lot of use technology using Flipgrid videos to, right. to be able to see that they're actually using the language um, communication through the chat break like just having them type things in the chats or using breakout rooms or in class every day in class it's still the same partners every day um, speaking as much as possible me right. trying to speak as much as possible to them but it is hard because you know with t the kids at home like their ability to understand um, directions oh I couldn't hear you you were lagging you were this you know distractions at home right. I mean when I'm at home I, you know I would be distracted as well right. so gotcha so Flipgrid is great yeah so that's a I didn't thought language would be perfect for Flipgrid mm -hmm. I use it you know a lot of times you know just to tell me about this particular mm -hmm. thing and then it, it works great for that and um, you know except for I can tell they're reading right off of some kind of oh, yeah, <laughs> website sure. or something well I mean Google Translate has been <laughs> my fierce enemy, yeah. <laughs> my nemesis this right. year. So, I mean, and it's funny for all those students out there watching, we all know when you're using it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, get, you get the same answer over and over again. Well, so. I mean, we know what you're capable of. Yeah. I mean, I think I saw a meme yesterday. I love memes, by the way. Um, me it, it said, oh, Spanish or French has really taught me to live in the present because that's the only tense I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, yeah. But like by Spanish 3, um, unless they're a native speaker or heritage speaker, then really I know what they're uh, coming in with. And so when they're suddenly able to do all these advanced gr uh, grammar right. uh, skills and things, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so that makes it hard. Yeah. Because I really want them to know it. I want them to be able to communicate. Absolutely. That's important. 
If you wear another hat, and so I'd like to definitely talk to you about the Jefferson Service Club as we're talking to students and teachers and everybody out there. So talk about a little bit about the club. What, how could students get involved? You know, what kind of projects are you excited about coming up? Um, you know, I think it's a great thing that you do here for school for kids. So, um, so yeah, talk to them a little bit about that. Um. So it, it's actually called the Students in Action. Students, not Jefferson and, right. anymore. No, okay. and the reason why is uh, because I'm out of date. Okay. yeah, well, <laughs> um, national like nationally, it's a national club, and it's called the club. The national organization actually changed their name okay. to Multiplying Good um, Multiplying because good. they have several different um, organizations, like sub organizations. They they give the Jefferson Award, and okay. so that's why they changed the name because they want the Jefferson Award to have its own kind of name. Gotcha. And so then they call the students aspect uh, students in action, okay. and then they have they give the awards to people in the community as well. Like if you watch Dean Stevens, he gives it out monthly um, to different people in the community. Um, and then we give it here at school. So really this, the club focuses on, when I came here to Stratford, they didn't have the club. And so I asked Ms. Taylor if I could start one and she was all on board for it. And um, so really it's just about teaching or giving students the avenue to create projects that they want to do and find needs in the community and then um, creating the, pro the projects and going through the whole process. Like finding the need, um, starting the project, completing the project, reflecting on the project, and then at the end of the year we create a kind of like a presentation, a written presentation and an oral presentation to a set, a panel of judges actually to kind of go through the whole process and how we reach the goals of the club. And then, so we just did this last week. Right. Um, and so then we uh, get a score and then you get um, a gold, silver, or bronze banner. Okay. And then the top um, score in the state goes to Washington, D.C. And they kind of like go against all this, the states that have a club. Cool. Mm -hmm. Do we know what our score is yet? Well, we the school we did get a gold banner, Excellent. so I'm very happy about that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then, but the top school was I think Wren High School, okay. which is like up in the upstate. Gotcha. Um, so, but it's the students love it because I it's a student-led club. I'm the facilitator, and like that's the whole point is I want to give them a voice that they can make change, and that like each of them, no matter how small or large the project is they can complete it and I'm the, just showing them how to do it like delegating helping them along giving them the skills and the club provides us uh, two leadership conferences a year as well to give support but really it's like what do you guys want to do what do you see the need for and then I mean of course I offer ideas and things too um, but I really I want it to come from them because I want them to be able to show themselves that what they can accomplish. That's, all, that's amazing. And you guys do such great work and we really appreciate that. What, does there a certain club, do you have a certain date and time that you guys meet that students could maybe if they wanted to be a part yeah, of this? Yeah, we meet Wednesday mornings at 8.30. Okay. And so this year we have um, a virtual member, like Kazel, our president actually is a blended student. Okay. So she has been able to do a lot from home as well. And then next year, of course, like we'll all be back. Good. And so hopefully... Wednesdays at uh, Wednesdays usually are the day Excellent. as of right now. Cool. So yeah, listen for announcements to that. Excellent. I really enjoyed this conversation. What has been the favorite part? Of this conversation? Yes. 
I don't know, I guess just getting to um, get out of my classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I this don't ever I walk This is why I started this. <laughs> uh, you know, it's often that we get to talk to teachers from uh -huh. other areas of the building and catch up with people that we've known for a long time. Right. So it's, it's nice to connect with others. Right. Absolutely. That's why I started this, you know, because we used to have talk conversations all the time mm -hmm. and be able to, you know, I've, I've missed that, you know, tremendously. And so being able to bring teachers in and, and tell us, and also then, you know, tell us to, you know, give uh, students an opportunity to hear about all these great things that we're doing and other opportunities that they have. Um, uh, and then give them access to that is also something. So I really appreciate you being here. Um, and I hope students all take advantage of that and, uh, and go learn language and be a part of the Students in Action Club now. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for thank being you. here. All right. Goodbye, Stratford. Thank you.